It's not just working somewhere else. It's people are multifaceted. Everyone works differently. People like to be managed differently. People are productive at different times. If we could tap into that, I always say if we can like get out of people's way and let them work, they would get so much done. They would be super productive. And that's what dynamic work is about. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Welcome back to the Best Self Management Podcast. I'm Shane Metcalf. I'm David Hassel. We're really excited to welcome to the show today, Christina Johnson, who is Okta's Chief People Officer. She's leading the organization's global people function, and she's responsible for the company's human capital management strategy and oversees talent acquisition, talent development, total rewards, and engagement programs. Christina brings more than 20 years of human resource experience to Okta and has worked across a variety of industries, including technology, software, consulting, and engineering, ranging from startups to large multinational established businesses. She's an experienced leader of global teams and adept at driving change management across diverse regions. Welcome to the show, Christina. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. It's quite a time to be the uh, the head of people at any company, but certainly at a large company like Okta these days. And I would love to just hear a little bit of, of your experience of, have you seen the role of people leaders and your own role shift over the last six months with COVID, with racial justice, and the, the shifting of priorities with companies? Yes, absolutely. I joked with Okta when the pandemic first hit and we all went to remote I joked that I felt like I had to turn into the Surgeon General, but that is how I felt. We were every single week getting on all hands and giving an update on our office is going to reopen. How's dynamic going to work? You know, how do you get your home office set up? So it's definitely impacted it. And then all of the racial injustice that's going on right now added another, you know, another level to that because the DNI function, diversity and inclusion and belonging, naturally sits in the people function. But we, you know, it got kicked up several notches with that, as it should have. But those definitely became like high priority things that were just part of the overall priorities of the people team before. It's kind of an amazing time where humanity, our own human nature is getting put back at the center of companies of, oh my God, it's actually important how people feel at work. And uh, it, it seems like as challenging as some of this time is, that there's a lot of opportunity to move the needle forward on more human-centric workplaces. Absolutely. And I think that it, as tragic as the global pandemic and the racial injustice has been, which and you can't ignore that, there have been positive side effects. And mm -hmm. the, there's positive side effects to the pandemic because it has accelerated this remote work, which is causing us to rethink things and, and be more efficient in a lot of ways. And it's also, to your point, bringing the human element back in. You know, EQ becomes more important than ever. Previously, it was a, this is a nice to have. Now it's, if you are going to be a manager, if you're going to lead a team in this global environment, you have to have EQ. You have to develop that empathy. It's, it's super important. Do you guys teach on that? Do you think it can be taught? 
We do. And I think, yeah, I definitely, I'm a big believer that yes, it can be taught. I think the question is, is the person willing to learn? And right. if the person's willing to learn and they want to make the change, absolutely, you can, you can teach those things. I was just on a call this morning talking to someone that's going to come to Okta and present uh, virtually, of course, present effective virtual communication because hmm. part of empathy and part of EQ is how you show up, your body language, and not just what you say, but how you say it. And so we're going to provide that for, we have a whole host of things that we provide, but it's definitely learnable and teachable if the person's open. Yeah. What are some of the other things that you were uh, surprised by in the move to transition to remote, whether they were positive or, you know, more challenging than you expected besides the EQ piece? Yeah. One thing that I was very surprised was the number of people that did not want to work remotely. And some people it's, their, their home situation isn't conducive to it. They're maybe in a tiny apartment with roommates or yeah. they have toddlers running around. God bless them. I can't even imagine. <laughs> um, and I, coming from my point of view, hour and a half commute each way, I was like, oh, I'm in my happy place. This, this yeah. is amazing. I get to work from home. But there were a lot of people I was surprised that kept saying, when can we go back? When can mm. we go back? They, they want to get back into the office or they're very social people, right? And yeah, so for them, right. it's, a, it's a social avenue as well. So that was surprising to me. We're seeing a lot of the same. Some people are like, oh my goodness, this is what I've always wanted and I can <laughs> right. live where I want. And I'm going to, you know, my, I'm personally thinking about moving closer to family and thinking of, oh, it's actually really interesting when, when we let people live where they actually want to live, how does that actually shake out? And can people live a more fulfilled life and have their dream career? And so I think that's really interesting. But then there's a lot of people that are dying to go back to the office. And I'm curious, how are you uh, How are you thinking about that? How are you approaching the plan to have people back in the office? Yeah, so we do, again, have a very comprehensive plan we've done with our facilities team. We had to reset expectations because mm. I think initially everyone was waiting for what, what's the date? When's the date? When do we get to go back? And we were kind of marching towards that initially, like, well, we're going to plan on working from home through April. And then it was May, then it was June. So we had to reset expectations and say, look, this is much larger than anyone knew it would be. We are moving to a remote first culture. And that means our, what we are marching towards as an organization isn't the return date. It's how do we get really, really good at working remotely. Now, our CEO has said we're not going back into offices until there's a vaccine unless you have a you know critical business need that you need to be there. A- another exercise that we went through that I think was really helpful was we went through every single role in our organization and we assigned personas. Are you fully dynamic, partially dynamic, or you have to be in the office? Hmm. The group that has to be in the office for us is pretty small, right? And then we worked with business leaders to say, does this person need to be in a certain geography to support sales teams or customer support? They would be partially dynamic. Um, and then for the most part, the majority of our roles can probably be fully dynamic. So that's how we started looking at when it's time to go back to the office, who will go back? And then the workplace team has done a really amazing job of trying to get the physical space set up. I haven't been back to the office, but it's going to look very much like it does, I think, when you go in any other business where it's like, go in this door, stay in this lane, you know, go, go out this door, and they're allowing space between desks. Hmm. And then a lot of the perks that we provided, we won't be providing. The gyms won't be open. The massage 
won't be available. The lunches won't be available anymore. And of course, you know, uh, for a lot of people, that's a big thing. So right. we are having to deal with, you know, some angst around that. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, actually, how do we build when we're stripped of some of the perks to contribute to our culture? How do we really create resilient cultures and find new perks that actually kind of fulfill the things that people are looking for when we simply can't provide massages and free lunches and things like that? Uh, That's I, right. I want to back up as a moment because you're talking about dynamic work. And, you know, from our chat earlier, you were saying Okta was actually kind of a year ahead of the theme of rapidly moving to remote work, but you're actually calling it dynamic work, not virtual or remote. And so I'd love to understand what's behind the choice of dynamic versus remote. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, when people say, what's dynamic, I always say, well, it's remote work on steroids. But hmm. all of the things that you just mentioned that we can't provide these perks anymore because people aren't in the office, we want to figure out a way that we, we can't recreate it. But when we save on the physical footprint space, how do we provide choice to employees? So that's part of dynamic work. It's not just the reason it's not just remote is it's not just working somewhere else. It's not just working away from your office. It is the technology stack that's super important, but it's also how do we provide true choice to employees, whether it's stipends that they can use in like our online espresso portal. We want to move to true cafeteria style benefits. Some people, depending on where you live in the world now, because people are going to move all over the place, maybe orthodontics is important to you or gym subsidies is important to you or maybe fertility is important to certain people at points in their life. So we hmm. want to try and take what we're the savings and invest it back into our employees. And the other piece of dynamic work that I think is super important is the bigger talent pool that's available. We can, we can really like widen that aperture of how we're looking for talent because we're not constrained to certain geographies. We're not constrained to being close to an office. That's part of dynamic work as well. I love this because you know Dan Pinks has this uh, cool quote. He says that business is waking up to the reality that we're actually complex, dynamic human beings, not single-minded economic robots, and that our work styles should reflect the dynamism that we actually are—the multifaceted, uh, very, very multi-dimensional human beings that each one of us is. And so our companies recognizing our dynamism and that we all have different needs, we have different wants, and actually having flexibility around that is a really cool concept because remote is just this like kind of single shade of you're remote or you're in the office and that's kind of the end of it. But there's so much more complexity that goes along with when you give people the freedom of choice to work where they want and how they want and leveraging their strengths and the way they work best uh, it's it's a really cool concept. I, I hope that we can spread dynamic work versus virtual work in the world. Yeah, we've tried to coin that term, or I should say, our head of uh, our SVP of facilities um, workplace has tried to introduce that term and get it out there with white papers and get it out there on social media. And it's everything you just said, Shane. It's not just working somewhere else. It's people are multifaceted. Yeah. Everyone works differently. People like to be managed differently. People are productive at different times. If we could tap into that, I, I always say, if we can like get out of people's way and let them work, they would get so much done. They would be super productive. And that's what dynamic work is about. I want to talk directly to you listening in for just a moment. If you're enjoying these interviews, the concepts we discuss, and you're committed to equipping your managers to develop highly engaged and high-performing teams, 
There's some additional resources that we know can help. Access the forever free best self-management certification at 155.com forward slash academy for core management skills that unfortunately are not taught in business school. Visit 155.com forward slash services to sign up for our manager accelerator program to reorient your managers around the essential skills needed to conduct effective one-on-ones, offer meaningful feedback, and coach their teams to greatness. If you want exceptional software that integrates beautifully with our education and training, visit 155.com today. Well, you know, thinking about like post-COVID, you know, how do you think the, what does the office look like? Or the office locations? Do you expect more of a, you know, a gathering place for some of the people who aren't there full time? Or how do you think those things are going to shift? Yeah, we are thinking about it in a really radical way. So we are thinking there'll be two phases, I think. There'll be the phase when we still don't have the vaccine, but more and more people are going back into the office. We're going to have to be very careful with making sure we have social distancing and making sure people can physically be safe in the space. I think that will look like one thing. And I think that may not be necessarily so conducive. Like my concern is... People are so anxious to get back when they get back into the office in that kind of phase one. I think they're going to be like, oh, this is not so great. You know, this is not me, you know, going down to the gym at lunch with my buddy that sits next to me. You know, we can't eat together, things like that. I think then phase two, when there is a vaccine, I think that will look very, very different. But we are thinking really differently about our physical space. So we're not envisioning there's a vaccine, things are kind of back to normal, and we go back into the office as usual. We're trying to think about our workplace as like employee experiences. And Mm. one way we've described it is, you know, it should kind of almost be like you walk into an Apple store and you can go anywhere and you can choose what technology you want. You can kind of set up there. And we already have started building out spaces for people to you know, sit in beanbags and work, or we have, you know, common areas where people can go work and they're not tied to a desk. So we're thinking about it from the employee experience standpoint and having the offices be employee experience centers, you know, versus a just office with rows of desks. Yeah, well, that's cool because that's also a, a dynamic work experience. Instead exactly. Of, okay, well, everyone else can have dynamic work, but if you're in the office, then you're in your cubicle and stay in your lane and you have your desk and, you know, that's, that's kind of what you're limited to. So, you know, it seems like dynamism and the dynamic work philosophy is actually spreading through the entire people management philosophy with Opta. It's happening fast. I love this vision of the future, and I I know so many companies. It's it's uh, I'm in a peer group of CEOs, and I think there was a survey done, and maybe only ten percent of the companies said they were going to go back to their office full time. Anyone who had leases expiring, they were just letting them go and figuring mm-hmm. it out post-COVID. And most said they were going to downsize and create more of this flex space for people to to have more of that dynamic experience in the office. So it feels like it's it's a very organic trend. And I think, you know, having been a remote first company at 15.5 from the start, uh, we've experienced a lot of the pros of remote and distributed work, but yeah. there's also, you know, some big challenges. And I'm curious. You know, around uh, you know the EQ conversation backing up there. How do you train people to have some more of the tough conversations that you would ideally want to be in person for when we can't be in person? It's a great question, and I think again, as we talked about earlier, you can teach it. People have to be open to learning it, 
Yeah. And I think that what we've tried to do is take all of our learn our L and D curriculum, and we have a phenomenal L and D team, and they have immediately in March, they started changing their curriculum for the year. And some of it focused on EQ. Some of it focused on having empathy as a manager. They mm. rolled out several learning sprints, they called them, was managing remotely. And it focused on when you're not in person, you know, face-to-face, how do you have a tough conversation? What if someone's terminated? What if, you know, you're having a, a tough salary conversation? And so, our L&D team really adapted their curriculum really quickly, first of all, to deliver things asynchronously and also to make everything virtual, but also to focus on what the challenges are of trying to manage completely remotely. Yeah. So much of communication and management is feedback loops and making sure that you're asking the right questions and getting insight into what's really going on with people and their challenges. And so in the remote management trainings you're doing, how are you making sure that your managers are keeping a pulse with their people and having insight into what's really going on? Yeah, we because, you know, so much of that when you're in person, you get a lot of that kind of sure. almost through osmosis. You can feel how people are doing when you're in the room with them, which is much harder through virtual mediums? Sure. Well, I think that we set up some guidelines early on. And one of the first ones that we set up was you have to have your camera on. And we, prior to this, we had Zoom. We were all using Zoom. Only 30% of people were turning their camera on. Hmm. And, you know, so, and it's critical. So we said, you have to have your camera on. That, That was rule number one. Um, and was then that, they was went. Was that unpopular? I'm, and I'm so curious because I'm literally yes. contemplating. This morning we had a training and it was like, okay, X number of people don't have their cameras on. You know, it's like, okay, I know it's not going to be a well received decision by everybody. And I'm kind of willing to, I'm, I'm, I'm contemplating that choice. So I'd love to hear your experience with that. It was. It was. I mean, think about it. If people were comfortable, they would, everyone would have had it on to it. begin with, right? Yeah. So I think it's a couple of things. I think it's some people use that as their opportunity to baseball cap and, you know, don't shave or don't wear makeup or whatever. So they don't want the camera on. But then it was also a lot in the, with our engineers who are probably more introverted, just, you know, speaking broadly, they like to just be left alone to code and do their thing. They did not want the camera on. So it mm. was a little bit of an uphill battle. But we just said across the board, you need to have your camera on. Now, it's what's been so interesting is in the beginning, everyone wanted to connect. They wanted FaceTime. We said, managers, check in with your people at least once a week if you're mm. not already checking in with them that often. When you start your meetings, don't immediately jump into the agenda. Go around, kind of go around the room and ask people how they're doing. That was the beginning. That was what, four months ago now? Now people are like Zoom fatigue. If you say, let's jump on a Zoom happy hour, they're like, oh, is that punishment? Are you kidding? No, I've been on Zoom (laughs) all day. And we've even moved to saying, hey, you don't have to always be on Zoom. If you want to take, if if it's possible and you don't need to, you know, see each other, you don't need to see content, take a meeting walking, you know, go out for a walk and take a meeting. So it's the pendulum has swung, you know, back to the, to the other way. But I think we've definitely gotten more effective and efficient and and everyone's using the tools more. Slack was another thing. We have Slack. I don't remember the percentages, but it was a much lower percentage of people using it. Now, like 95% of our employees are are on Slack. It's it's amazing how uh, revolutionary it feels to take a regular phone call. And it's like, oh my God, I can walk around the house and make a cup of coffee and go out (laughs) to my yard or walk around the neighborhood 
while I'm having a meeting. It's like such this cool old school, old tech coming back. In yeah. A new way. Good, good old multitasking, which everyone likes to do. Exactly. Yeah. I don't think you need to use Zoom for everything. And I think everyone's, it's wonderful. It's, it's amazing that we can be sitting here and having this conversation over video, but the Zoom fatigue is real. I'm curious about uh, the sociability. You know, you talked about some of the people who want to be in the office because they're maybe they're very, very social. I mean, we're all social to some degree. And mm-hmm. uh, I think that a lot of people suffered from emotional uh, challenges due to isolation in the early days of COVID. So how do you how are you guys thinking about if if you are about how to create more of a sense of connection and camaraderie without having to do these, you know, Zoom virtual meetups and building in that more human connection, even though we're, you know, we're all separate? Yeah, it's been really tough. And and we certainly haven't nailed it by any yeah. means because the go-to solution was we're going to have a Slack channel for everything under the sun, whether right. it's the, the pet channel or the cooking channel or the wine channel. We've got all this. Uh, and, <laughs> exactly. So we yeah. have like so many Slack channels and the go-to was let's get on Zoom and we're going to, this is a true story. We had a, we went on a remote llama tour of a llama farm, right? And huh. someone was actually taking us around the llama farm or bingo, you know, all of those things or what to people it was awesome. amazingly popular. I couldn't believe yeah. it, but we had a lot of people tune in. But the problem with it is you're exacerbating the Zoom fatigue, right? Because right. we want to connect and we can't be face to face anymore. And you know, it's a natural human desire to try and connect. Well, if the only way to do that is getting back on video. So we don't have a great solution. And actually, we've had employees reaching out, being really creative, saying, hey, can we do a drive-in movie night and we'll social distance and, you know, just different ideas like that. Yeah. Now, we've had to, we've had to say no, because yeah. I know it, it would, that would be a, that would snowball effect. But people are really anxious, you know, to get back, especially people, like you said, that are social. Yeah. I'm kind of in love with dynamic work. You know, I'm like, okay, David, let's, let's consider adopting this, you know, TM Okta. Uh, (laughs) But because dynamic work, it doesn't mean, okay, well, everybody always needs to be on video. It's actually about listening to the needs of the system and then adjusting as needed. And so sometimes you need to swing over here, but then maybe that becomes excessive and you find that balance again. And so I really love that moving forward. And also, you know, I think that there's this incredible opportunity to upgrade our culture, that crisis is part of how we evolve and how we move forward as individuals. You know, I think of my own dark nights of the soul that have precipitated the most profound transformations in my life. And I think that there's something similar for the business world where we can actually take the best of what was working in business and also reinvent the pieces that were way overdue for upgrading. Absolutely. And those are the, the like I said, as tragic as, as this period of time has been in some ways, there's been positive effects. And we ran several workshops and right away after the pandemic hit talking about how to handle stress and talking about all stress isn't bad. And mm-hmm. we had psychologists come in and help people understand, you know, how do I deal with this stress? Not only just deal with it, like kind of white knuckle it and get through it. How can I take that stress and turn it into something positive? And how mm. can I channel that into new and improved either ways of working or just new and improved, you know, personal development? 
I'm curious, you know, to follow up on that, you know, with, with COVID and all the, the social unrest and the racial injustice, uh, we've all been under like an enormous amount of stress. And I imagine that having to lead things like this on emotional intelligence and on stress and, you know, there's a level of almost responsibility that I'm seeing companies take for the emotional well-being of their employees more so than they ever have. Have you been seeing that? Is that something that you feel like your team has had to lean into more and do you think that's a future 100%. trend now that's here to stay? 100%, 150%. Yeah, I was talking to my VP of talent management and they handled the people business partners, all the employee relations, all of the you know high touch interactions with employees. They have been burnt out because mm-hmm, they yeah. are you know, getting pulled into so much that's going on. We've had you know a huge uptick in people reaching out to our... Um, we, we partner with Modern Health, but... People reaching out and wanting to have more options and more resources available to them. And so we actually increase the number of, you know, visits or increase the the benefits that people have available to them specifically related to stress. The one thing that's, that still worries me and we don't have a great answer is the childcare in school. Right. Right. If you have now that school is supposed to start and my kids officially go back online tomorrow, it's going to be rough. Right. I mean, if you have toddlers or babies and you're, you guys are tr- trying to juggle with your significant other, it's really tough. It's really stressful. And what I've seen at Okta is people just work harder and longer. They don't want to let their team down. Right. And yep. we came out and said, everyone block off an hour a day on your calendar, call it personal time, stare at the wall, go for a walk, whatever you want to do, and take as much time as you need. We already have a flexible PTO. We said it over and over and over. People aren't doing it. So it, yep. it worries me because I'm worried specifically for people either with you know young children or caring for elderly parents. They're already stressed. And I think short of you know going to their house and babysitting their kids, there's no perfect answer. So it's one that we've really we're still struggling with. They're not even gonna want you to come over and babysit your kids. Exactly. <laughs> That's that exactly. Is, is such a, a conundrum where uh, there really isn't any obvious answer to, yeah, to childcare. That's right. And we explored stipend. We were like, okay, we're going to give everyone a stipend that they can use towards childcare. And mm. then we were like, well, where are they going to use it? Because you don't yeah. want people coming in, <laughs> strangers coming in your house with your yeah. small children. So it, it's a tough one. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm talking with my VP of people, Heidi Collins, a lot right now because she has two school-aged children. And it's she's just saying, this is bonkers. Mm-hmm. It's totally insane. I mean, it would be a full-time job to homeschool them, set them up with their like 10 logins for their tech stack that's almost comparable to the complexity of our own internal tech stack as a tech yes. company. Any doctor. And and then, <laughs> you know, navigate them through all of the troubleshooting, yep. be there to ensure that they're actually paying attention, and that it's it's a very tough dynamic that yeah. parents particularly are facing right now. Yeah, I'm living it real time, which is why I'm so worried. And I've been talking to our CEO about it. Like, you know, what are we going to do? And again, we always come back to there's no perfect answer. But I know that productivity will, for for most people, productivity is going to go down. We need to accept that in this little period, I think, especially while they're everything you just said, Shane, getting your kit, are you logged in? Does the technology work? There's going to be this period of time where people are going to have to multitask and they're going to have to be kind of turned away from their day jobs for some period of time. Now, usually the pendulum comes back, but I think it's inevitable. Yeah. How do you think about balancing, you know, on that theme of, you know, the pressure to perform as a, as a successful public company that's doing incredibly well, 
right? So the, and and then you have the you know the, the quarterly needs of the market that you've got mm-hmm. you've got to hit numbers as a public company versus the desire to you know to to stay very focused on your on your people and to care about the people and their well being. Where do you find the push and pull in that, and how do you how do you balance those two needs? I think one critical piece to remember is to not not be afraid that if we take our foot off the gas or if we give any leeway, everything's going to you know fall apart or people aren't going to show up and do their job. Right. What we need to worry about is if we keep pushing and pushing and pushing and we don't realize what's right in front of us and the reality that everyone's facing, people are going to burn out. They're going to yeah. break down. Right. You know, they're human beings. And so I think that's the key and that's what I've been advocating for and pushing at Okta is I'm not worried at all that people are going to take their foot off the gas. I see them working harder than ever. What I'm worried about is, are we taking care of them? Are we giving them all the resources we need? Are we showing up you know, to meet them where they are in their, their human journey right now? Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's almost like we need to be mandating self-care and time off. Because it is really intense for people to think about taking time off. I mean, A, it's like, where are you actually going to go for a real vacation? I think is is one other tricky piece of this. But I think that people who aren't used to working remotely, I think that there is this uh, a deeper fear that because I'm not as visible, I need to prove that I'm being productive. And that translates to working longer hours and just trying to always be on and the pressure to perform. So I'm curious, you know, your experience of, hey, everybody needs to take some time, put an hour of personal time on your calendar, and then seeing that people just aren't doing that. How do you, like, what are some of your next steps on that strategy to ensure that people do take their foot off the pedal for a moment? Yeah, it was tricky because we, again, like I said, we were mandating it. We want you to do this. We want you to take time off. We reiterated it. People were not doing it. So our CEO actually got on a Zoom call with every single manager of people. If you man, if you had even one direct report, you got on this Zoom call and he said, look, we have to take care of our people. We've tried a couple things. People just aren't doing it because they're mm-hmm. afraid to let their teammates down. Or people who have young children are worried, if I take time off, it's going to increase the workload on my colleague who maybe doesn't have yeah. children, but is that fair? You know, is that equitable in their mind? This is how they're thinking. So he said, this is all going to come. There's no silver bullet and there's no like structure we can put in place. That's going to check the box. This is going to come down to every single one of you being a good manager, listen to your people, hear them, know what they need. And you know, we all, we kind of need everyone to be a kind of coach therapist during this time. Yeah. So, and that seemed to help. I think people, the managers needed to hear directly from the CEO that, that you know how he felt about it, and it seemed to help. I'm a little concerned now. Okay, what's going to happen? It's fall, school. You know, people are going to be very stressed again. How are you personally handling this? You know, having children, being in a a leadership position where everyone's kind of looking to you, and you have your own life, you have your own heart, your own emotions. So. Are you finding it challenging as well to take those moments of self-care? You know, it's, I've had my struggles like everyone else. You know, I've had my moments of, you know, my moments of breakdown, like, oh my gosh, how much more can we take? But I'm, right. I'm very, very, very fortunate, very blessed because I have care. I have um, a nanny that comes into my home and helps me. Um, my husband is very hands-on with the kids, even though he's considered 
essential. So he's at his office every day. And I'm an introvert by nature, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's not as hard for me kind of being, I like being on my own for the most part, and I don't have to commute anymore. So, but I have to recognize that I'm in a very fortunate position because of those things and not everyone else is there. Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, the rise of the planet of the introverts. You know that the, the <laughs> yes. introverts are having the kind of the <laughs> yes. last laugh right now. They're they're living um, their best life, right? Yeah, they're right. like, wait, you mean I can't leave my house and I need to distance from people? <laughs> best pandemic like, ever. All right. Um, yes. Yeah. I want to transition actually just to something or what you just talked about before about how you know this really is going to come down to each one of the individual managers and being in touch with their team. We talk a lot about this concept of manager effectiveness here at 15.5. And, and, and really, my belief has always been that the, if you want to create an extraordinary culture, right, the, where the rubber meets the road, it is in that manager-employee relationship. So how mm-hmm. can we support each individual manager? And if we do that really, really well, I feel like it takes a lot of load off the people team, you know, because there, there are less issues that maybe bubble up that, that your team has to deal with. How do you guys think about that? And how do you, how do you think about creating an environment where you have extraordinary managers, both through you know sourcing and training and, and development. Yes, that's one of the things I'm most excited about and to see how that has shifted how we think about culture and developing our leaders. So we mm-hmm. really doubled down. Uh, we, we had in the past what we called the top talent program and they w- it was usually you know 70 or 80, um, generally more senior employees in the organization, but it didn't necessarily have to be. When this happened, we realized more than ever, we needed to invest in managers because they're the first line of defense in making sure the employees are taken care of. So we we didn't completely scrap the program and start over, but we definitely made some pretty significant changes. So it's called Leading at Okta. It runs all year long. It's the first time it's been very comprehensive in the fact that what happens is we have cohorts. I think we have four cohorts. We have 12 people in each cohort. It runs for 10 weeks, 10 weeks, 11 weeks, they get together. And we have outside facilitators as well as our core L&D in-house team running sessions that's tied to core competencies. So we Mm. went through a really comprehensive exercise in the beginning of the year to say, what does it mean to be a leader at Okta? Because at Okta, we say we want a culture of builders and owners. If we're going to have a culture of builders and owners, you have to empower your employees. You have to be able to, you know, not be a micromanager and step back. That's not not natural for everyone. So we're really focused on that culture of builders and owners and those core competencies. So in module one, they meet for 10 weeks, 11 weeks. At the end of their cohort, they get they kind of become a tiger team and they get a real business problem to work on. And then they each team presents to the executive committee, almost like a hackathon, right? What was your challenge and how did you solve it? And then they move to module two, which is a leadership summit. It's three days. It used to be three days somewhere wonderful, like Napa. <laughs> now it's yeah. all, all virtual. This will be the first year it's virtual. But everyone that was in that cohort moves into this three-day leadership summit. And what we do is we come up, as we brainstorm, what are our initiatives for next year as a company? But we also engage with a company called BTS. I don't know if you're familiar with them, but they do a very, very in-depth business simulation. So we've been working with them for the better part of the last four months for them to create a real-life business simulation using Okta's numbers, Okta's problems, Okta's, you know, our business structure, what our real business problems are. And then everyone breaks out into teams in the summit 
and you make choices along the way in the business simulation. So you can't, as an example, you can't come out with, you have the most bookings or the most revenue, but your attrition's 28%. Okay. Well you lose, right? So it, it includes all these variables into the simulation and it's great because it gives those leaders an opportunity to put into practice what they learned along the way. And what they learned along the way is not just, you know, putting yourself in the CFO's shoes, but putting yourself in the head of people's shoes. Okay. You can't lose all your people and still win at the end of the day. So how do you develop those people? So I'm really excited about that. That is so cool. I mean, you know, leadership is really easy to point out the flaws of the people that are leading and a much harder thing to actually do it. And it, it seems like probably one of the best things to develop a culture of empathy as well, because you're realizing the complexity that each person has in making those decisions. Yeah, one of our core competencies that we identified as a, as a team was self-awareness, having self-awareness, mm. right? And another one was basically developing your team. But I think having empathy and having EQ is directly tied to having self-awareness. And so we are actually tying behaviors and actions to those core competencies to try and develop that in the leaders. I love hearing about this. We've just developed a uh, competencies based in our on our core values and then specific skills to develop out of those competencies. And self-awareness is actually one of them as well. And because it kind of, a- and, uh, everything starts from self-awareness of where am I and what's, what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? What are my blind spots? That's this, the same exercise that we did. I think it's super powerful and we're, we're pulling it also into the recruiting. So we always say you, nobody should get to a on-site or now, you know, face-to-face online interview and not be able to say what are, what are the core values for Okta. And what we're doing is we're tying in interview questions for our recruiters that are directly tied not only to the values, but to the competencies. Like mm-hmm. here are the competencies for leadership. And then that doesn't preclude lines of business from having competencies. Engineering will have a different set of core competencies than go-to-market or sales, but we build those into the interview process so that we are making sure that the team we're bringing in, the culture resonates with them. We're in hyper growth and we're going to add a lot of people next year. You can change your culture overnight, bringing in a lot of new people if you're not intentional about looking for the right values. Mm-hmm. It's kind of amazing how much more sophisticated, you know, I mean, I'm imagining when you began your career in HR, the level of sophistication of this model compared to, you know, performance management, talent management, you know, 10 years ago, it's, it seems like we're really entering a, it's almost like a renaissance period of understanding what drives human beings and what makes for cohesive, effective cultures. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like it's, people are listening to it now, right? Like core competencies, you know, 20 years ago when I was starting, it was, first of all, it was personnel, right? Or HR, not people. Um, That's evolved, but people will be like competencies. I think even, you know, five, six years ago, they were like, yeah, competencies, values. Yeah, whatever. People are really listening and paying attention now. And I think they understand the, the tie between, you know, taking care of your employees and performance. What do you guys do in terms of engagement? Because you mentioned that you're responsible for engagement programs. You know what? What are those? You know, I I, I know that you know a lot of people measure engagement. You know, I think that uh, I'm I'm curious. How do you think about actually the why it's important? What do you do? How do you measure it? How do you improve it? We measure engagement every year with our uh, survey. Uh-huh. We used to do pulse surveys 
you know, every three months, every quarter, then we move to every six months, that needle doesn't move that dramatically in a really short period of time. So we do measure it annually. I think the key is, and I always tell my my managers this, there is no one size fits all. You can't come up with a framework of here's how you're going to engage your employees yeah. because it's very different. If you're talking about engaging our engineering group, they, they want to be left alone. They want to be able to write their code, right? And if you're talking about engaging our sales team, it's something very different. So mm-hmm. what we do with our annual results is we slice and dice it by manager, by line of business, by function. And then the people business partners take the results and they go build a plan with the line of business. Because again, it's very, it's very, very different. Our engineering teams have a no meeting Thursday and it's, sacred. Like you cannot set a meeting with anyone in engineering on Thursday. They will not take it. Everyone knows it now. They don't try to set it up. That would never work in sales, right? That's just not going to work. So we really tailor our engagement plans to be very functionally specific. Well, you know, it's so easy to tie it back to dynamic. You know, the phrase that was coming to mind was dynamic human management is that we need to manage, you know, just as like we need to be able to work dynamically, we need to manage dynamically. Yeah. And that's what I always, I refer to that as you have to, you have to tailor your management style to your employees, not vice versa. You don't expect them to figure out, well, some, some managers do, but the mark of a good manager is figuring out who is this person as an individual? How are they best managed? How can I best develop them? Any final words of encouragement for the people leaders out there? Hang in there. (laughs) It will get better. And actually, I, I really do believe we will come out on the other side of this, no matter what that looks like, we will have um, there'll be new ways of working, new ways of connecting, new ways of being that will be in some ways better than what we had before. Yeah, I think so too. It's really great. This has been great. Thanks, Christina. Really Thanks so much for having today. me. I think of there, there's a Buddhist kind of mantra teaching uh, of this too shall pass. And I think that that's a really good thing to remember that it seems like this is now just indefinite. But, you know, five years from now, which isn't that long, we're going to be an entirely unrecognizable world. That's right. And I believe that this too shall pass. So hang in there. Everyone will get through it. Thanks so much, Christina. Thank you. Thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative, to our executive producer, David Misney, and guest coordinators, Sydney Lee and Suzanne Haight. One of the easiest things you can do to help us spread the message of being and becoming your best self at work is to write a review on Apple Podcasts or just share this episode's link on your favorite social media channel. If you have any questions or comments, please email me and Shane at podcast at 15.5.com. We'd love to hear from you. And finally, thank you. Thank you.